I want to invite uh, Harold Miller to come up and join me here on stage. So Harold, why don't you make your way up and folks, why don't we welcome him once again here with us at New Horizon. You're, you're playing slalom through the praise band there. Uh, guys, you sounded absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's very, very good. Thank you. And, and I love that we have our signing back. I, I love the signing. I think it's just so evocative, and I love watching it while we're singing, so it, it's great. But uh, Harold, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks, Barry. Uh, I know you pretty well. You do? Uh, there's some people here who may not know you at all. I know him pretty well, too. Yeah, well, no, no trade secrets, please. Right. Uh, but Harold, you're, you grew up in Belfast, and you're living in Belfast now, isn't that right? Yes. And uh, you're a, a bishop in the Church of Ireland. But you know what, you're going to be telling us, uh, that doesn't deserve a round of applause or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, no, 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 honestly, honestly. Uh, but you're going to be telling us a lot more about your story tonight. Yes, I will. We're really looking yeah. forward to hearing that. But I have a few quick questions for right. you. Um, is, actually, your wife Liz is here with us as She well, is, Liz? down yes. in the front row there, yes. Perfect. Has she vetoed what you're going to say? She doesn't have any idea what the questions are. <laughs> so Harold, it's very important. Uh, starter or dessert? Uh, starter. Okay. Summer or winter? Summer. Sport or music? Music. Milk chocolate, dark chocolate? Milk chocolate. Charles Wesley or Matt Redman? Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley or New Irish Arts? Charles Wesley. Oh! <laughs> that was a joke, that one. That wasn't a joke. These bishops are harsh. Dogs or cats? Uh, dogs. North Coast or Cork? Cork. It's warm in Cork. It's warm in Cork. It's wa I want to tell everybody. I, I will you, you can't start uh, preaching would yet. You, would you please forgive me because I put out a tweet saying I was going to cold rain because I'd looked on the app and it said rain, 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 rain. But I tweeted tonight to say it was now sunny and very hot here. Uh, you just told that story to let everybody know you're really trendy and you can tweet. But... <laughs> Would you rather bungee jump or swim with sharks? Bungee jump. Very good. Christmas or Easter? Christmas. Peter or Paul? Paul. Best thing about being a bishop? Uh, the, I can't answer that in just in one quick sentence. What? Oh dear, well then don't answer it. Okay. Uh, you know, <laughs> folks, we are going to hear from Harold Miller tonight about his story and, and actually Ben Quash is going to be joining him, which we're really looking forward to. But let me pray for Harold and, and then he can begin. So let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for uh, Harold, and I want to thank you for bringing him here to be with us. I pray for what you've been speaking into his life, into his heart, mm -hmm. into his head. And Lord God, I pray now for that he has a tremendous freedom to just share here among us. I thank you for the love that you have for him, and pray now that you will share that love through him with us. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Barry, thank you very much indeed. Um, I think I have only ever been to New Horizon once before. And I think Liz and I were up on the North Coast in one particular uh, summer Sunday evening or something like that, and we discovered that New Horizon was on, and we came, but we haven't been since. Uh, partly because I see this tent in other circumstances during the year, because it's also used for summer madness. And indeed, we put our welly boots in before we came, not knowing that there was carpet on the floor and really comfortable seats. Uh, and uh, it's great to be here at New Horizon in more civilized circumstances. 
When I say it was the, it's the first time or the second time I've been, only been once before, I said that in a Baptist church recently. And I was standing at the door, and a very good friend came up to me and gave me a big hug and said, you are losing it. You were here before. It was Windsor Baptist Church, and David McMillan, the former pastor, was there. And I said to David, David, was I here before? He said, I don't remember. I said, I don't remember either. And she said, I'll even tell you what you preached on. You preached on beautiful feet. I thought, I have never preached on beautiful feet in my life. And I came out and I came back home and I said to Liz, I really am losing it because apparently I was there before and I told them I was there for the first time. The next day, sitting in a car park, the phone rang and it was this person on the other end of the phone. She said, you're not the one who's losing it. I am. It was Fanta Clark. <laughs> I am not Fanta Clark, right? And uh, one of the things that, that, that happens sometimes when a bishop goes to different places is that people, uh, especially if they are in Christian traditions that don't have bishops, they ask you the question, what do you call a bishop? In fact, Anne today greeting us at the hotel didn't ask that question. She said to Liz, what do you call a bishop's wife? And uh, when I became a bishop about 18 years ago, I was in Cork. And my kids, two of them were in the kitchen at this particular moment. And I went into the kitchen and my oldest son, Kevin, was there and his friend, Donal, was there. And Kevin says to Donal, now Donal, he says, from now on, when my father comes into the kitchen, you must stand up. And you say, good afternoon, my Lord. <laughs> and then he went just one step too far. And he said, and when I come in, you stand up and you say, good afternoon, my Lord's son. To which my youngest said, don't be silly, Kevin, that would make you Jesus. But not only have you got a bishop here, you've got an archbishop, and we're both going to give our testimonies uh, later in this session this evening. And uh, Ben, I don't know what people call you as an archbishop, but um, we had the Archbishop of Canterbury here on St. Patrick's Day, and Jasper Rutherford was interviewing him in the Waterfront Hall, and he said to him, tell me, what should I call you? And Justin Welby said, well, he said, uh, it depends on what you want to achieve. He says, for example, there's a whole spectrum, and my kids, he says, call me Baldy. I don't think that would be very suitable. And the spectrum goes right through to people who call me, he says, your grace. He said, but they're always looking for money. <laughs> so for the rest of the night, every time he talked to him, Jasper said, uh, Your grace, could we have a bit of money for this? Or your grace, could we have a bit of money for that? Now, in truth, 
we have been given Christian names. And I remember one bishop saying to me on one occasion, whether you're a bishop or a, I'm going to say an ordinary person, whatever you are, if you're in Christ, then you should really be called by your Christian name. So, uh, I said to people in the diocese when I came, not wanting to have all this my Lord stuff, not that they were likely to use it anyway, I think, but uh, I, I said to them, you know, my name's Harold, and I'm a bishop. So you can call me bishop or Harold or any combination of the two, but I forgot about Harold Bishop in Neighbours. <laughs> What I want us to do tonight is to break this time up into, I suppose, two different bits. And the first part is I want us to engage with the Word of God on the theme of an unconditional love for His world. And I imagine that you, like me, have noticed that you can turn that phrase either way that you can say that we are intended to have an unconditional love for God's world. Or you can turn it the other way, and you can say that God has an unconditional love for His world. And that's where I want us to begin tonight. And I thought that in beginning with that, uh, we would read together from 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. And I gather that when Malcolm Duncan was with you, and when you read the Word of God, you stood. So I'm going to encourage you to stand, please, while I read to you 1 John 1, 4, other, beginning at verse 7. Shall we stand? <clears throat> Here we go. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. 
God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Father, we pray that you would open this word to us, not just to our minds, but to our hearts, to our whole beings, to us as a community, to us in a community, and through us to your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to make six very simple points, and I think they'll come up on the screen somewhere. I don't do PowerPoint, but sometimes other people do a bit for me. So here we go. Point number one. God's very nature is love. God's very nature is love. My nature is I'm a man. I have white hair. It's part of me. It's what I am. I'm 65 years of age and so forth. I cannot be other than that. It is what I am. It's very interesting that if you look at those old cartoons that used to be in the paper and maybe are still in some of the papers, love is, love is this and love is that. For example, love is bringing her breakfast in bed. Love is ironing his socks, and his underpants. She does that. She does that, I have to tell you, all the time. And you can put a whole lot of different things at the end of love is, and one of them was what was being said by Barry earlier on. Love is tough. Love is many different things. Love is a many splendored thing. But when you turn it on its head and you say dot, dot, dot is love, by very nature is love and cannot be anything other than love, it can only apply to God. And in this passage, twice over, it says that wonderful, marvelous little phrase, God is love. He is, of course, the right kind of love. And all of us know from C.S. Lewis or from a little bit of Greek that there is eros love, which is to do with sexual love, that there is philia love, which is to do with brotherly love, and that there is agape love. And we all kind of have come to use that word, which is the sacrificial, self-giving, totally selfless kind of love that is at the very nature of who God is. You often hear people say nowadays that little phrase, God could not love us or cannot love us any more and cannot love us any less because He simply is love. It is not extrinsic to His character. It's not something that, like us, He tries to do or He does imperfectly. It is something which is absolutely central, core, essential to His very being and something which we depend on in our lives because it could have been true if we did not have the revelation of the Scriptures. It could have been true theoretically, that the God who made this universe was not loving. 
It is not obvious and evident to every single person in every single circumstance. And I imagine that there have been moments when you, like me, have begun to wonder, can it really be true that God is love if this happens or if that happens or if the other thing happens? And that is the very starting point of where we are tonight. God's very nature is love. God cannot be other than love. I'm a vice president of Tear Fund, so I'll be advertising it on several occasions during the week. And I was at a meeting of Tear Fund recently between Tear Fund in England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, and we heard about uh, a meeting which took place in Teddington, uh, the centre of Tear Fund in the UK. When the question was asked, what is at the very heart of what Tear Fund is? And in one of those amazingly insightful moments, the staff in Teddington came up with two very simple words. Probably took them a little time to get there. And the two words were this, relentless love. I love that. Relentless love, the love that keeps on loving and loving and loving no matter what because it is at the very nature and the very heart of who God actually is. Secondly, God set his love on us. In verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. God set His love on me. As I begin to give my testimony tonight, the heart of my testimony would be something like this, and I'll share more when Ben and I have a little chat together towards the end of the evening, but it would be something like this that instead of understanding that God is love or that Jesus loved the world or that God sent his son into the world, it became clear for me in that moment of grace that God's love was set on me. That's the difference. That God's love was set on me. And we often put it like this. Uh, that if there had only been me in the world as a sinner, Jesus would have died for me. It is really, really important that we understand that God sets his love on us. And he sets his love on you and me, not for any reason. There is absolutely no reason in this wide world or in eternity other than his nature that would make him set his love on me. It isn't because of anything that I have done. It isn't because of any goodness that is intrinsic in me. It certainly isn't because he thought to himself, well, he's the kind of person who would have made a decision to follow me, and therefore I will love him. God loves me because God loves me. God loves you because God loves you, not because of anything you have done, not because of anything you are, 
but simply because he has set his love on you. And our love for him is always, always, always responsive to his love for you. Thirdly, God's love and wrath. Anglicans always say wrath and Presbyterians always say wrath. Do you notice that? (laughs) Anglicans make it sound nicer. God's love and wrath are complementary, not contradictory. As we continue in verse four, chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Keith Getty has written perhaps the most spectacularly challenging line in, in, in the hymn In Christ Alone. Churches all over the world have tried to persuade Keith Getty to change the line, the wrath of God is satisfied. And they've suggested all sorts of other possible lines. The love of God is magnified is one of the favorites. And I remember meeting Keith about 10 years ago in an airport. I think both of us were going to the States. Uh, And he said, you know, they're always asking me to change that line in that song. I said, Keith, please never change that line in that song. Because there are many, 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 many songs that are about the love of God, sometimes in a sentimental kind of way. And the attempt to set the love of God over and against the wrath of God and the propitiation of Jesus Christ on the cross is really quite dangerous because it is in propitiating the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary that the love of God is most fully disclosed to us. One of the reasons why I haven't been at New Horizon very often is because I go to Summer Madness and New Wine, and I'm usually conferenced out by this stage. But at New Wine, we had another Anglican archbishop called Greg Venables, and uh, he was giving his testimony. And he said something like this. He said, do you notice that when Jesus makes his proclamation at the beginning of Mark's gospel, it's not just John, but it's Jesus whose first proclamation is repent. And he said, when I realized the love of God for me as a sinner, the word repent came as music to my ears. 
Because when you know your sin and your need of God, then the truth that God by His grace has done everything to make possible a relationship with Him. And all we have to do is to turn in faith and receive it and move away from our old way of living into a new way of living in Christ is absolutely music to the ear. Here is love, vast as the ocean. Loving kindness as a flood when the Prince of Life, our ransom, gave for us his precious blood. God's love and wrath are not contradictory. They're complementary, and they come together in our conversion. And most of us, as we think of our experience, whether it's over a long period or in a dramatic conversion of coming to Christ, will know that we understood at that moment what had happened on the cross of Calvary. Maybe not fully, definitely not fully, but in a way that was transformational in our lives. It can be hard to explain at times, be hard to grasp at times, but it's the most wonderful, liberating truth when we experience it in our lives. Fourthly, God's love adopts us as His children. In verse 7, and over and over again in this letter of 1 John, he says, Beloved, beloved, beloved. That's how we describe ourselves. We are the ones who have become uh, the people who understand that we are loved by God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be is yet to be revealed. One of the other things we have to be a little bit careful about in our theology these days is the danger of misusing the phrase children of God. Because all around us in, in the world outside, when people talk vaguely about God, they say, well, aren't we all children of God? And I suppose there is a sense in which by creation we are. We're made in the image of God. But if we look at the biblical use of the phrase children of God or child of God, it is nearly always a way of describing those who have known the experience of what it is to be adopted into God's family. Just a little bit about my own story. I grew up, I suppose, uh, as a, definitely as an only child. My parents were older when they got married. And you know something? One of the most wonderful discoveries for me was that when you become a Christian, when you know yourself to be adopted as a child of God and brought into His family, you are born again into the most amazing place. It really hit me once in Greece. 
when I was a student. And a group of us had gone hitchhiking for six weeks in Greece, and we ended up in Crete. Uh, not hitchhiking, we had to get a boat to Crete. And we were in this little pension place, and when we went into the bedrooms, there were Gideon's Bibles beside all the beds. And it said on a little card, Evangelical Church, and when it met in a particular place near Heraklion in Crete, and we all decided that we would go to this little evangelical church to which the owner of this pension belonged. We arrived there, and uh, they said to us, it was just a little place, they said, you'll sing. None of us could sing, but we sang anyway. But at the end of that service in that little church, the most amazing thing happened to me. I will never, ever forget it for as long as I live, and perhaps not in eternity either. This little Greek widow, have you ever seen a Greek widow all wearing black? Small, kind of shriveled up kind of woman in her, looked about 150 or something like that, you know. And as we came out of the church, she grabbed hold of me. And she said, in a few words that she'd strung together in English, we will meet again in heaven. And in a flash, I realized that when we're born again, just as we're born into a family, when we're born again, we're born into a family, we're actually adopted into God's family, we are made God's children by grace, and we have family all over the world. And if Barry had really pressed me on that question of uh, what gets me most excited as a bishop, well, the truth is, it's meeting believers all over the world. Because the job of bishops is meant to be to network to link the local church in one place with the church in another place. And so Archbishop Ben is here today, and sometimes Liz and I have the privilege of going to South Sudan to a place called Meridi, where we have an extended family there. We were in northern Argentina recently. We have an extended family there. We were in Albany in the States recently. We have an extended family there. And in 1998, before all the fuss in the Anglican Communion, we had bishops from all over the world. And Liz and I looked at each other and said, this is just like heaven. We are God's children by adoption and grace and brought into God's family. There are only two other little points I want to make, and I'm going to make them briefly because we'll come back to them, I think, during the week. Number five, God's love is to be seen in loving lives. We're going to be looking at that. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. We'll be looking at that when we look at the challenges later on in the week of loving our enemies, of loving our neighbor, and indeed of loving the church, 
and of being loving in and through the church as well. That the love of God, which is unconditionally given to us before we ever deserved it, is exactly the same kind of love that we are called upon to live out in our lives. And the last little point, because I don't want to rein in Ben too much, I want you to meet him and have a chance to hear his story. God's love for the world is expressed in us not loving the world. You know what I mean by that? In verse 14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. But alongside that earlier in this letter, in 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We would have used that word worldly quite a bit in Ulster, wouldn't we, in the past? My mother couldn't stand evangelicalism. And the reason why she couldn't stand it is because when she was a teenager, in the church she belonged to, they got a new minister who taught them all to sing. Now, I'm trying to remember the actual words because she used to I don't drink and I don't chew, and I don't go with boys that do. <laughs> That's the actual word. She used to say, he taught us all to sing, we don't drink or smoke or chew because we love the Lord. There was that kind of emphasis on the, the wrong kind of worldliness that didn't really mean all that lot and the, that much in the end of the day. Did you see the program about Bob McAllister on Wednesday night? Was it Thursday night? Thursday night. Wasn't that just a wonderful example of a person who is prepared to give up their safety, their security, put their family at risk, do without possessions, do without any standing in the world because of the love of God that was in his heart? and the way in which he was impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Archbishop Ben Quashie to come up, and we're going to have a little chat. Uh, we were going to give our testimony separately, but then we thought we'd just have a little chat in front of you. I don't know what he's going to ask me, and he doesn't know what I'm going to ask him. Will you give him a big round of applause? Now, I, your grace, your grace, come to the front. <laughs> I have no money. <laughs> <laughs> I've no money either. Your, your grace, Ben, uh, you have just come from Kansas, is that right? From America? Are you jet-lagged? Yes. Yes. So he do, we don't know what he's going to say, and he doesn't know what he's going to say. 
But the reason for giving a few testimonies tonight is this. I told you before we came that 50 years ago, the Friday before yesterday, whatever, eight days ago, 50 years ago, I gave my life to the Lord at a boys' brigade camp at the age of, well, you think of only about three, 15, at the age of 15. Uh, it was an amazingly transformational experience. And we were talking over dinner about the danger of always giving testimonies from the past. And there is a danger of giving testimonies from the past. But I feel almost to honor God that I want to simply say that on that day, the 24th of July, 1965, at 10 o'clock in the morning, not everybody has that kind of, you know, t day and date. That doesn't matter. But on that day, God revealed to me that he loved me. I don't know what the man said. I've no idea what the preacher preached. But I remember that at the end he said, close your eyes, and if anybody wants to give their life to Jesus Christ, simply raise your hand. My hand shot up. Do you know why? Because I knew that God loved me so much. I wasn't afraid of hell or anything like that. I probably should have been but that I knew that God loved me so much that there was really no choice. And I thought I'd made a decision, but actually I think God made the decision for me. When did you come to faith? You were a bit older, were you? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, my father and mother were committed Christians, and my mother especially, she was a pastor's daughter, so she, she was caught with the anxiety that I did not look like a, a child coming, a grandchild of a pastor because I was too many, and that means a lot. So when I left um, high school, and that was a military school, and then went into the army proper, I thought I had gained my freedom and the devil welcomed me very well into the world at that time. And I was in the city of Lagos, so I was free. Um, I must have been around 18 years of age. And this gentleman, interestingly, he was an Anglican lay reader who was witnessing in the streets. And I thought that I was going to put him off because I grew up knowing the prayer book and the Bible and was going to tell him off that... Um, God had made up his mind uh, on how many people he wanted to save. And in the whole of Nigeria, only two people qualified, so he was wasting his time. <laughs> and I was smoking my cigar. It was, um, James Brown had just been to Lagos, and we were in that show, and so there was free cigarettes. That was what happened those days, and and I was blowing the cigarette smoke on his face. He didn't bother. He said, could I just listen? And that was my mistake. It turned out to be an everlasting good mistake. Because in 10 minutes, he shared with me John's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 10 only. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Mm. But I have come that you may have life. And as he went through those words, 
tears running down my eyes. I couldn't help myself. I realized that the thief was really stealing my money, cigarette. He was stealing my heart. I'd run away from the family. No communication with my mother. But Jesus has come to give life. And then he ended up and said, God loves you. I couldn't believe it because I said, look, how could God love somebody like me? I was too much for my mother. I just didn't feel that they loved me. How could God love me? And with tears, I was telling him. And he says, no, God loves you. Instead of going into town, I turn around. I turn around, not voluntarily. I just didn't even know. I just turned around and said I was going back home. And he escorted me to my room. And for the first time, my room was smelling. I mean, there's a room I just left an hour ago. But I did not know that it had smelled so badly. Plates I didn't wash. You know, cigarette tops, the room was stinking. I did not know it until that day. So I began to clean the room up, crying. And I was looking for a Bible. I didn't have any. And um, he said, I shouldn't worry. Following day, fortunately, the Logos sheep had birthed in Lagos Keys. So he took me there and we bought Bibles and many materials, navigators, Campus Crusade for Christ. And he, I was more educated than him, by the way. But he knew what to help me with. And that began my life in 1976. You know, I, I'm trying to imagine him with a cigar, aren't you? <laughs> uh, and I, I think I like you better than you sounded in those days, Ben. Uh, but one of the things that really has struck me as you've been talking is that the unconditional love that we need to give to people, if they're really to be one for the kingdom of God, uh, as we live out that unconditional love, which I was given through that particular uh, boys' brigade. Uh, about 20 years later, this, uh, I was converted in the Isle of Man in Port Erin. Do you know where the Isle of Man is? No, except no, on the map. No. Somewhere, somewhere between Ireland and England. Uh, it's a little island, a holiday kind of place. And uh, about 20 years later, I was speaking at a conference in London, and I was talking to a lady over lunch, and she had a very strange accent. And uh, she said, uh, she, she was chatting away, I said, where are you from? And she said, the Isle of Man. I said, I was converted on the Isle of Man. She said, whereabouts? I said, Port Erin. She said, whereabouts in Port Erin? I said, well, you go to this little Methodist church, and you go up a little lane, and there's a field to the right where the BB used to have their camp. And she said, do you know something? My family lived right beside that field and prayed for those camps. Wow. I just want to encourage you to keep praying and praying and praying and giving and giving and giving in such a way that the grace of God becomes real. One, one of the, it's nearly time for us to tidy up at this particular we can't, point. I'm an African. We can't tie it up now so quickly. <laughs> I ben, have many ben, more things to say. Ben, a miracle is going to happen. Go a miracle is going to happen tomorrow. Ben is going to preach a ten-minute sermon in a Presbyterian church. <laughs> if you believe that, 
Well, I do want to say one or two other things, Ben. Uh, you know, sometimes I understand, don't get me wrong, I understand the formulistic way in which testimonies are given very often in Holy Ulster. People learn how to do it, uh, and they were worse than you, most of them. Yes, they were pretty bad, uh, and there's a style of doing it, and sometimes it doesn't ring true. But also, there can be the kind of sense in which we grow up from that point, and we do grow up from that point, but we don't grow away from it. We grow into the grace of God that we experienced in our lives at that moment when we understood that God loved us as though we were the only person in the world. Do you agree with me? I agree. In fact, I testify because soon after that, this brother helped me a couple of months, a year down the road, I was willing to go home. But I didn't know what to tell my mother. She herself was confused how to react to me because for 17 years, she's always reacted to my troubles. Now I've come back in peace and she doesn't know how to handle that. She was confused, but she was shocked. And the words were not complete, but she knew I was sorry. And she recognized that something had happened to me. And all I could say is that Mom, God loves me. That was my testimony. Yeah. Ben, there's a whole congregation of two or 3,000 people here, right? And uh, I would like us to respond in some way to what we've heard about the love of God, the unconditional love of God, which is called grace. God's riches at Christ's expense, God's free, unconditional, undeserved love to you and to me. And I think what God has placed in my heart for this moment on this first evening is that each one of us would get back to that place and that wonder in the old hymn, the blessedness I knew when first I saw the Lord, that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and His Word. I know we can't ever quite get back and relive the moment, but I would like us all at the beginning of this week in which we're thinking of God's unconditional love to the world and our unconditional love for the world I would love us to get back to that place of simply saying, here I am, Lord, just as I am, Lord, without one plea. And I want you to give me that awareness again of the wonder of all that Christ has done for me. And just start me again at that place of grace so that I can grow into that mature in it, and live in it all the days of my life. Would you all stand, please, just for a moment? <clears throat> just before we do that, I'm always aware that there may be some people who have not made that commitment 
to Christ in their lives. And I'm not going to drag anything out or anything like that, but just to say to you uh, that if you want to go to the prayer tent afterwards, there are people there with a little book they can give you, Journey into Life, uh, which will help you to explore and to understand what it is to receive the grace of God. And let me just add that it may be that people have described what you have done and it's terrible. And you yourself know that what you are doing is terrible and you've lived that life all the way. But tonight, as Bishop Harold said, God assures you, in spite of what people have said or how much you think of yourself to be terrible, God still loves you. Can I invite us all just to hold our hands out, our empty hands? Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. The grace of God has dawned upon us with healing for humankind. Lord, at the beginning of this new horizon, Restore us to that place of grace. Lord, we, when we've allowed other things to take over from grace, to replace grace, to push grace to the side, we pray that you'd restore it to the very center of our lives, what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. That amazing, complete, and absolute love that demands my soul, my life, my all, that will gladly have my soul, my life, and my all.